Well, we are at the very beginning of this journey that will see us right to Easter. And we are looking at three verses in the book of Hebrews. And these three verses, we're going to go phrase by phrase over these next six weeks. And last week, we opened it up. And we looked at this idea that sometimes what we want in our life or in our situations or in our circumstances is comfort. That's what we want. But what we really need is courage. It's courage. That we need to take all the opportunities that, we, that God presents to us and, and we need to start being aware that we need to start speaking courage into our discouragement. We need to start speaking courage into our families, our friends, our coworkers discouragement. See, sometimes what we want is just some sympathy, but what we need is some strength. Sometimes we want people to feel sorry for us, but what we need is some people to actually challenge us. Sometimes what we want is a Mr. Rogers in a sweater jacket telling us everything's just going to be okay, but what we need is a William Wallace with a painted face telling us to fight to the end, to, to not give up and get back into the game, get back into that fight. And we're in this series called Fixed. And it comes from this key phrase in Hebrews 12, where the writer tells us to what? Right. To fix our eyes on Jesus, so that what we don't, we won't grow weary and won't lose heart. See, when you're tired and you're feeling like giving, giving up, what we're going to be finding is that we need to definitely in those times, yes, we need to dig deep, but we need to turn our focus to Christ, that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus because, and this is the argument that the Hebrew writer is going to be making here, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is superior. That's really, truly the theme of Hebrews, isn't it? If you've read Hebrews, you understand it's, the theme is about the supremacy, the superiority of Christ. That Jesus is superior. That Jesus is supreme to all of our challenges, to all of our circumstances that we face, and all the situations that we're dealing with. That Jesus is superior. Another way that we could probably say it in our 21st century lingo is this. Jesus is better. He's just better. That's really what the writer of Hebrews is telling us in all this supremacy and superiority talk, that Jesus is just flat out better. He's better. He's better than anything that you're dealing with. He's better than any situation that you're facing. Jesus is better. The word better or superior is used at least 15 different times in the book of Hebrews. And the author is underlining that again and again and again because of this. Because a confidence and the superiority of Christ is what gives us courage. The confidence of Christ and the superiority of Christ is what will give us courage. See, we think we need comfort but what we often really need is courage. And that was true for the first generation Christians who were reading this letter of Hebrews. Most of them would actually have been Jewish Christians. 
They started off the race, and we'll see this more in a couple of weeks, but they started off the race like a lot of us, and most of us started off our race, our Christian journey, with a lot of excitement and a lot of determination. Can you remember back when you first gave your heart to the Lord and how excited you were, how determined you were to to save every single person that you knew? That's exactly what was going on with these Jewish Christians as they were reading this, this letter. However, just like us, what happened to them after a while, life started to happen, right? They started dealing with some persecution and some opposition. And they were dealing with all that because of their faith in Jesus. And a lot of it was from their own religious heritage, they, were, they grew tired, and many of them had walked off the track. So the Hebrew writer wants to fill them with the courage that they need by telling them that Jesus is actually worth it because Jesus is actually better than anything that they're going through. Just make a list as you go through Hebrews sometime, and you'll see all of the things that Jesus is actually better than. I encourage you to do that. Read the book of Hebrews. Take your time with it. It's a deep book. But if you read it, or the next time you read it, make a list of how many different things that Jesus is better than. Let me get you started. Jesus, it tells us that Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than your traditions. That Jesus is even better than the prophets. That's how Hebrews begins, that in the past, God spoke to us through those prophets, and that was good. It was good. But now he speaks to us through his son, and Jesus is far better than the prophets. In chapter 3, the writer actually makes the case that Jesus is actually better than Moses. And you have to understand, that was huge, because remember what I just said, who the audience was. The audience is first-generation Jewish Christians. Moses, to them, was an icon. Like, this is the guy who went to Mount Sinai and, and, and saw God and came down with his commandments. He's the one that led them out of Egypt and into, supposed to, he was supposed to lead them into the promised land. So, you have to understand, that got, that probably got their attention. And the Hebrew writer saying, guess what? Jesus is even better than Moses. And he goes on to say that he's better than the angels, he's better than the high priests, that he's even better than the Levitical system, that Jesus is better than the old covenant. Jesus is better than the suffering that you're dealing with. Jesus is better than the temptation you struggle with. Jesus is better. So the Hebrew writer is telling us, so fix your eyes on him and run the race. So we're spending these next six weeks and we're focusing on these three verses in chapter 12. And we're using that passage as a way to just to set up a camp every single week. And and then through that, we also talk about some of the other larger themes in Hebrews. So let's go to base camp. Let's see what these verses say again. And, And then let's go from there. So if you have your Bibles, if you haven't already, turn them to Hebrews We are in chapter 12, and we're starting in the first verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangles. And let us run the 
Run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the, <clears throat> at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus so that you don't grow weary and won't lose heart. So we're going phrase by phrase through this. Last week we found that, we, that when we're tired, we should just stop and remember the great cloud of witnesses that surround us. And remember, they're not just necessarily watching us, but we look, what we really looked at last week is this great cloud of witnesses, they're speaking into, a lot, into our lives. They're speaking to us. And for us to be listening to what they would be saying to us. There are heroes of the faith that have gone through more than most of us ever will ever go through. And to be honest, sometimes we feel like we're the very first person to deal with whatever we may be dealing with. But we're reminded through this great cloud of witnesses that we're not the first people, that you're not the first person. Others have actually dealt with it before. And we can learn from them. We can hear what they would be speaking into our life. The phrase that we want to focus on and underline this week is the next one. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. He's going to identify a couple categories here. The first one is everything that hinders and a specific sin. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a moment. But first I want to draw our attention to this verb translated throw off. This is what we're to do with what slows us down on the race. This comes from a compound word two words that are actually put together in the Greek that literally translate set it aside or push it out of reach. So this, this verb, this word to throw off that we're reading here, essentially is telling us to set it aside or push it out of reach. He tells us this because we don't want to keep being tripped up by the same stuff, right? We don't want to do that. I know I don't want to keep being weighed down by the same things, and I'm sure you don't either. So for a lot of us, this Christian life and this race that we're running, here's, it's really the same story. You know, we haven't made much progress. But it's the same stuff over and over and over again, right? It's that same sin. It's that same struggle. It's that same weight that holds us down. And what the writer is going to be telling us, it needs to be set aside and pushed away. There are two, these two categories here, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, you can interpret this, and some people do that. It's, it's, it's everything that hinders, which is the sin that so easily entangles. It's really just one thing, and the writer is identifying that most of us have something that trips us up, Right? I don't think it's written as one category here. I think there are two separate groups that the writer's talking about. There's everything that hinders, and then there's this specific sin that he's going to be talking to us about. So let's just focus on everything that hinders. That word hinders, it's a noun. 
And really what it is, it's a generic word literally meaning any kind of weight. It could be anything. If you are in a race that's long and difficult, there's some weights you can manage for maybe a lap or two, right? But after enough time, no matter how determined you are or how optimistic you are, any weight, any weight is actually going to slow you down. And eventually, it's going to be more than you can actually manage and it will bring you to a stop. That's the nature of weight, right? The longer you carry it, the heavier it feels. So the writer is telling us to throw it off, right? So set it aside, push it out of reach, everything that hinders you. Now what hinders you might not hinder me. What hinders me might not hinder you. And so this really is, everything that hinders, it's really a big, broad, generic term. It's this idea that everything that hinders, that it could actually be anything. Because it's going, like I said, it's going to be different for you than it is for me. So what I want to do is I just want to identify what I think are three common weights that slow us down. The first one, the anxiety and pressure of life. It really truly does slow us down, doesn't it, from, from running the race that God has called us to do. Jesus speaks about this in Matthew 13 when he speaks of the pressure of life just choking out the work of our faith. Just the pressure of living in this world. And some of you know that because when you started your race as a Christian, you didn't have that kind of stress, that kind of pressure. And you ran free. You ran determined. You ran excited. Then life started to happen, right? And the stress of life came about you. Think of it like this. It would be like running a race with a bad case of asthma. That's really what you can imagine here. You want to do it. You're determined to do it. But how do you run when you can barely breathe? So for, so for some of us, the stress of life could be captured with this idea of, of a 45-pound plate at the gym. Think about that. The gym I go to, that's the heaviest plate that you can find in the gym is, this, is a 45-pound plate. And it's put on the bar that can feel overwhelming. And that's, that's where some of you are at right now. You're just carrying this load. So one of the things that hinder would just be stress, would be the pressure of life. Another thing that could slow us down is religion. It's religion. Religion actually slows down our faith. Did you know that? Now, we don't want to think, we don't think of it that way because we tend to think that religion and faith, they're kind of like, they're used interchangeably. They go hand in hand. But you see, this is a problem for the Hebrews and the Galatians and, and throughout the whole entire New Testament, actually. Really, you have these Jewish Christians who are following Jesus, but they have the weight of Judaism, of this religious system on them. They're trying to focus on the race. They're trying to follow Christ here. But they have all this pressure from other, people, other people's expectations, from their heritage, from their own traditions, that they're expected to keep up. Jesus used this imagery to talk about the religious leaders and what they did to people. Matthew 23, verse 4, 
it says this. Jesus is speaking of these religious leaders. He, he says they crush people, putting weight on them with unbearable religious demands and never, never lift a finger to ease the burden. They just keep adding and adding and adding more weight. And some of you, maybe that was, maybe that was your church growing up. Maybe that's your experience as you were growing up in the church. You're trying, you're really trying, but it's tiring. And you come to worship, you're exhausted. And instead of getting a finger to help, you get more weight added on. That was maybe your experience in church. And that's how religion can slow us down. Another thing that can slow us down is sin struggles. It's our sin struggles. The writer talks about a specific sin, and we're still, we, we'll get to that. Don't worry, we're getting to there shortly. But he talks about this specific sin. But under the everything that hinders, there's just these sin struggles. We all have different struggles, right? But these temptations, they just keep tripping us up. So the writer says, you just throw those off. You resist them. You get a feel for how intensely you should resist them. In verse 4, it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So he's like, you're not even bleeding yet. And as I read that, I thought about my experience as a child growing up. And I'm sure maybe a lot of us experienced that. Maybe, maybe as a parent, you did this with your kid too. But I would remember, you know, growing up, if any one of us siblings, any one of five of us got hurt and it would come crying to mom, to mom my mom loved us and definitely showed comfort. But usually when, when we came to her, the very first question she would ask is, well, are you bleeding? Well, no. Well, then get back out there and play. Don't come back to me. Don't, don't come and talk to me. Don't have me get involved until you start to bleed. That's what my mom would ask. Well, are you bleeding? Well, no. Well, then then suck it up and get back out there and start playing. Go back out and we'll talk when, you actually, when there's actually blood. So the writer is saying this, look, you're not bleeding yet, so get back in the game. Keep resisting sin. Maybe, maybe we'll talk when you're bleeding. You see the intensity here, right? With which we're to resist sin, and that is so foreign in our culture, isn't it? Our tendency is to what? It's to go along with it all and say, well, you know, it's just the way I'm made. No big deal. You know, you're supposed to bleed. You're supposed to resist sin with all of your strength because sin will slow you down in this race. Sin will separate you from God and then blame God for the separation. Has that ever happened in your life? That your sin has separated you from God, but then, it, but then your sin blames God for the separa separation. That's what sin does. 
Sin will build a wall between you and God and then tell you God's the one that built it. So that your heart will actually become hard. And then you start telling yourself, well, down the road, down the road, I'll get it right. I'll deal with it. With God. I'll, I'll get right with God later on. Down the road, I'll deal with this sin. But the problem is this. Sin builds a wall so that down the road, you don't want to do that anymore. Because your heart is hard. It separates you from God. And some of you know this because you're not making any progress with your sin struggles right now. Where what happens, certainly I've been there. I've been there. Where I'm trying to run this race. Trying my hardest. I'm determined. But I'm just not ready to repent of some things. And I'm, just, I'm not ready to confess some things. I'm, just, I'm not ready to throw some of these things off. It has to be dealt with, people. Because it will slow you down. It will slow us down as a church and what God has called us to do here in Port. So the writer in chapter 10 and other places have made the case that sin separates you from God. And it's got to be dealt with. In the past, the Levitical law dealt with it. The high priest dealt with it. But not really, really, but not really, right? Their sin was always there. What sin does, it robs you of your energy, right? It robs you of your energy to want to actually run this race. It saps you of your joy and your peace. And King David knew this all too well. And he explained his sin, sin journey and struggles with not dealing with it. And he explains it this way in Psalm 32. This is, what, this is David's experience. Reflecting back and saying what it was like for him when he chose to not deal with his sin. He says this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was what? It was heavy on me. There was weight on me. My strength was sapped as if it was in the heat of summer. He describes what it's like to try and run this race when he's exhausted by his shame, his guilt, and his sin, and not dealing with it. So we see these things that hinder us. But then the Hebrew writer gives us a specific sin in this phrase. I think what he's doing here, he's going, he's moving from the general. He's saying, okay, now everything that hinders you, think about all your, your, your basic broad struggle with sin. And, and everything, and all those different weights that you're carrying around. He goes from that general to now uh, the specific. Everything that hinders, broad. It's broad. And he moves it to where he says, the sin. And he starts to sound way more specific, doesn't he? He doesn't say a sin, he says the sin. If you could think of everything that hinders as weights in a gym... And the sin that easily entangles is the bar. It's the bar that the weights go on. So, he talks about the, the sin that so easily entangles. What do you think he's talking about here? If, if you were to guess, what do you think this sin is? 
Now, if I just read this without putting it into context, I would guess this. I would guess pride. Logical guess, right? Isn't that really the root of much of our sin struggle? It's pride. Well, if we look at 1 John, 1 John talks about three big ones of lust and pride and greed. Maybe it's one of those, right? But I don't think so. As you study this verse in context, and you put it next to chapter 11, because there's that continuation there, right? There was that therefore at the very beginning. There's this continuation. We have to keep in mind what was said in chapter 11 as we're reading chapter 12. What seems pretty clear to me is that the sin he is referring to is the sin of unbelief. That's what I think he's talking about as we put it into context. Think about what was going on in chapter 11 and, and, and bring that into chapter 12. I think the sin he's talking about here is the sin of unbelief, of not having faith. Now some of you thinking, scratching your heads probably thinking, wait a second, Bill. Wait. I didn't even know that was a sin. Unbelief is actually a sin? Yeah. It is. See, sin of unbelief, it's not believing in who God is or what God has said. Not having faith is a sin. And it's the sin that so much of the weight that we carry is rooted in. Think about it. It's the bar that all the weight gets put on. That bar is the sin of unbelief. So let me just, if I can, to unpack this a little bit for us here today. If I have a sin of unbelief, then suddenly the pressure and the stress of life becomes much more overwhelming to me. Suddenly, if I don't have faith, then I'm faced with some uncertainties in the future that actually stop me dead in my tracks because I don't know what will happen next. But I believe and have faith. But if I believe and have faith, then instead of that pressure and stress overwhelming me, I can actually set it aside, throw it off, push it out of reach. And because of that, meaning I can now keep moving forward. So you have to understand that Jesus is better than whatever it is that's stressing you out. Jesus is better than your circumstances. Jesus is better than your unreasonable boss. Jesus is better than the bills you're, paying, you're trying to pay. Jesus, Jesus is better than all of those things. And what he's trying to remind us here in this is that we need to have faith. Set it aside, push it out of reach, and keep moving forward. Think in terms of religion. So religion is a burden. It's a weight that... If I don't believe, if I'm guilty of the sin of unbelief, then I don't believe that the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient for my sin. I don't believe it's sufficient to save me. And that adds all kinds of weight to my life, right? If my confidence is in Christ, then I'm free to run. And I don't feel the weight of the religious traditions or expectations. I'm following after Jesus. Jesus is better than religion. Or think about it when it comes to your sin struggle. They're rooted in the sin of unbelief as well. All of those, the struggle that you're having with sin in your life, think about it. It is rooted in unbelief. 
that I don't believe that Jesus is better than my sin. If I believe that Jesus was better than my sin, sin would actually lose a lot of its power over me. See, the power of sin is that I'm looking to something or someone other than Jesus for pleasure or satisfaction or meaning. If I understand that Jesus is better than what it does, it loses its grip on me. The power of sin is that it puts shame and guilt on us and it weighs us down. But if Jesus is better, he's better than my shame. He's better than my guilt. Then because of that, I'm able to run free. Some of you have tuned in today carrying a load. You've got some of those 45 pound plates on your bar. There's some pressure. There's stress, there's guilt, there's shame. The question I have for you is why? Why are you doing that? Why are you carrying that around with you? See, Jesus in Hebrews is talked about as being one who deals with this weight and our sin. In chapter 10, 10 it's pointing out that in the past, it really wasn't a great way to take this weight off. He talks about the prophets and and the high priests of old. Just listen to this from Hebrews 10, 10, verse 2. It says, if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once and for all, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. It's not what happened though, right? So Jesus comes along and did what the old covenant couldn't do. Listen to what what the Hebrew writer says in verse 22. It says, Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, you believing in him, you having faith in him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That came from, for those that may want to know, that came from uh, Hebrews 10, verse 22. But do you believe that? If you don't believe it, then you will leave this time of worship the exact same way you entered into it. If you don't believe, then you will continue to say in your life, I've got to carry this. This is my burden, I guess. This is my weight. This is who I am. I've got to carry it. It's my weight to bear. It's my burden. That's what you will continue to say if you don't believe any of this. Or do you believe that Jesus is better than all of that? Do you believe that Jesus is better than your shame and guilt? That's the question. It's a question really of faith. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is better? I do. I believe that Jesus is better than anything you can buy. I believe that Jesus is better than any website you can visit. I believe that Jesus is better than any relationship you can be in. I believe he's better than any house you can build or car you can drive or vacation you can go on. 
I believe that Jesus is better than the biopsy that you're waiting to get, the diagnosis that you're about to receive. I believe that Jesus is better than your friends on Facebook. He's better than the likes on Instagram. I believe that Jesus is better than life. I believe that Jesus is better than death. So, if you're tired and weary, if you're worn out, take the encouragement and the direction of the Hebrew author. Fix your eyes on Jesus and don't give up. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you always provide a way out of our sin, of our struggles, of our temptations. Maybe a lot of us are carrying a heavy load right now in our life and we just are overwhelmed by it. It, It's impossible for us to run the race the way you've intended us to. And as we look at this passage, that, that weight comes from our sin of unbelief comes from the fact that maybe we don't believe you as much as we thought we did. Because really that is why we sin, isn't it, God? We believe that whatever sin we're about to embark on is better for us than whatever you could provide. It could provide us a better experience or deeper meaning or better purpose. So Lord, really, the root of all of our sin comes from that one sin of unbelief. We just, we don't believe in you. We don't believe that you are better than everything. So Lord, I pray that during this time, I pray that we just start unloading that bar right now. That we start taking that weight off. You know what, not even take it off. Let's use the wording of the Hebrew writer I pray that we're looking all that weight at that bar and we're just throwing those plates right off. We're throwing them off. Setting them aside. We're pushing them out of reach, Lord, so that we can run free. Thank you that you are a God that is superior, that you are supreme, that you are better than everything and anything that we will ever experience or go through or deal with in our life. I pray we believe that. And as we believe that, it will be shown by the way we live it out in our life. So Lord, I pray that, Lord, you know, I'm sure many of us are carrying weight. And right now, we're feeling that weight being thrown off that bar. And we place our faith in you. We just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.